0: anyone interested in RC airplanes? We'll share tips and tricks on how to build models and talk about successful flights, epic crashes, and everything in between. Visit us at rcplanelab.com to sign up for our email list and to ask us questions. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please help us out by rating and reviewing us in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now here are your hosts, Ron and Tom.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the RC Plane Lab podcast. I'm Ron.
2: And I'm Tom.
1: How was your weekend, Tom?
2: Well, it was uh, not long enough. I had to work.
1: Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yep, yep. I had to, had
2: to work, you know, make uh, make money so I can spend it on airplanes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's what uh, 12 days in a row then you'll be working, huh?
2: Well, with the Veterans Day coming up, it's not. it's not 12. I get a little break in there. I get that Oh, you're veteran, off, you're yeah, off veterans Tuesday? You're off yep.
1: Which will be Wednesday. Three days, or Wednesday? Yeah, Veterans Why Day Why I is think it was Tuesday?
2: I'm not sure, because I'm taking Thursday off, and then I'll get Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so I'll have five days this coming weekend.
1: Okay, so you're complaining that you had to work <coughs> two days, but you have a five-day weekend coming up.
2: Well, but I had to work two days after a, a five-day work week already, so by the time I get a day off, I will have worked nine days in a row. So, yeah, I'm complaining. <laughs>
1: I do I do nine <laughs> in a row to get five off.
2: Yeah, I, I guess it's not a not a bad deal, but that, that's that's the exception. That's not the norm. Usually, the norm is eleven day work week, and then I get a day or two off, and then another you know seven day work week on top of that, and then so on and so forth. So
1: yeah, that I wouldn't like.
2: Yeah, I got a little bit. At least I guess this one I get lucky.
1: At least you'll have enough time to do a bunch of work on your uh do list this weekend, then, huh?
2: Well, I'm hoping. Um, but like I, before, I, we get into that, I wanted to hit. Uh, the Patreon again. Uh, just let uh, our listeners know that uh, hey, we're out there on Patreon. You guys can uh, support us, help us do what we do. Um, like uh, we mentioned on the very first episode, we don't spend that money on airplanes. We spend it on the stuff that we're recording with right now, for example.
1: Yep, I'm trying to make uh, trying to make it better to make better uh, things for you guys. So, exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And hey, help.
2: speaking of making things better for you guys, help us help you. Fill out that listener survey, please.
1: Oh, forgot about that too. <laughs> yeah. Any chance you get, if you have anything you want to, any feedback you want to give us, anything like that, go go fill out the survey and that helps us out a lot too. That's right. Um, yep. It just kind of makes us... It gives us the information on whether or not we're going the right way yeah. or if we're going in a, a wrong direction or, you know, tell us what you want so we know where, where to take this.
2: Yeah, it's good feedback for us. Tells us what, uh, just like you said,
1: tells us what uh, you guys are most interested
2: in listening to us babble about.
1: <laughs> Which I'm surprised so many of you like this. I but, uh, yeah, I'm me too. That's, uh, that's awesome.
2: Because <laughs> I like talking about airplanes. <laughs> I can talk about them all the time.
1: And you do, actually. But so. believe it or not, that's cool.
2: eventually... I'll probably run out of things to say
1: about airplanes,
2: so that's where you guys come in. Let's hope
1: you we don't get there. You tell us
2: what you want to hear, and we'll, well, we won't tell you what you want to hear, but we'll talk about maybe things you'd like to hear us talk about. There you go. How about that?
1: Um. Yeah. So, also wanted to bring up, you said you were going to post the pictures of the uh, the horizontal stabilizers that we both built. I did.
2: I yeah. did, and I will get those posted on the uh, forums uh, this week,
1: and so, you can uh,
2: you can get to our forums. How,
1: Ron? Uh, forums.rcplane.lab.com. Thank you very much. Head on over there, and you can see pictures of what Tom and I are working on. Um, he's he's posting those to make fun of me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> however, I will say that that is not the one I'm going to be using because apparently what? I like apparently I like to do things over and over and over. What um, did you do? Well, I didn't do anything actually wrong. As much as I didn't like what it was going to look like. Oh. So I...
2: You know, maybe I should hold off building my fuselage because maybe you won't like your fuselage and then I won't have to build one. I'll just take
1: yours. Is it bad that I did think about restarting (laughs) on that one also? The fuselage? The fuselage. Oh, my gosh. So here's my reason. Okay. Five
2: duelists later, (laughs) Ron has a flying electric duelist.
1: This is a $14,000 airplane by the time we get all the, the wood into it. No. Okay. So... Most
2: expensive <laughs> duelist ever.
1: So last week we talked about, um, well, you talked about, and you you chided me a little bit for um, liking to outdo you, uh, apparently, which I didn't, like, I didn't realize that was a thing. But I have to and tell you. And now I, you do? Well, I do. I'm catching myself <laughs> doing it now. So uh, let, me, let me explain. I did get a little bit of work done on my duelist. Um, and it was not like to be ahead of you. It was just because I finally got to the point where I had some time and was able to do it. Okay. However, um, this is when it caught me when I was like, oh, this is what he's talking about. So I went ahead and I cut the, what's the, the wingtips that, you know, go on the end of the, end of the wings. Right. Um, And I'm doing a little bit different than you are because I'm lazy and I don't know how to actually carve them, you know, 3D like, um, so <laughs> I'm just not doing hard. <laughs> well, it probably isn't, but, um, okay. so what do you call the way I'm doing it? Cause you, you did it on your stick.
2: Oh, they're just, you know, basically plate, uh, you know, mounted perpendicular to the root rib. And then you put a few little gussets in there and cover it.
1: Yeah, so I'll I'll have pictures. I'll put them up on the website. Yeah, they don't look bad. Uh, well, I don't think they look bad. No, I mean I'm not saying that at oh, all. Okay. Um, but they're just an easier way of doing it. Indeed. As opposed to making so much sawdust. But anyway, so the part where I, I it really hit home what you were talking about, as I was designing them on the computer to cut on the on the uh, on the laser, I designed it right per the plan, and then I was like, huh, I'm going to make each one of these a half inch bigger. That way I have...
2: Uh, more wingspan. That way I
1: have, <laughs> that way, my wingspan is bigger than Tom You're by terrible. an inch. So it measures 70 and a half inches uh, across now.
2: Yep, mine measures um, uh, 70. Probably, you know, I haven't put my wingtips on yet, so...
1: You could outdo me. And that's that's why I am saying that now, because you know what? <laughs> I want to give you the chance.
2: I'm not going to.
1: Okay. I'm building following mine the plan. as per the plan. So mine will be bigger. Yours
2: will but, also be bigger, yes. So
1: the reason, by the way, that I thought about starting my fuselage over.
2: So you could make it longer. So
1: I could make it longer. Saw it coming. I was like, you know what? If I could just take each one of these formers and move them back a quarter inch. Yeah, by the former. time
2: yeah, by the time you're done, you've got a couple inches.
1: I've got a couple inches on you, and yep. that, and then I thought, you know what, that is very childish. Um, <laughs> Funny though, I almost did it. Still, <laughs> I wasn't saying childish is a bad thing. Um, but no, so no, no. I really just don't want that's to have awesome. to go through all the cutting and, and doing that. So what I did, just to be sure, it's a little bit longer is the tail that I made for it. I did a different design on the tail. Nice. Um, it so is, that's okay. It is that's, about an inch yep. longer.
2: It's <laughs> starting to click now why you <laughs> did your stab yeah, a little bit different. Too, well with the elevators.
1: Well and that no, that didn't have anything to do with length. Oh. Like okay. I mean that the that's not gonna make it any longer. Okay. Um there's just something I think it was probably because my first airplane was a telemaster. I really hope yours comes or, out heavier than mine. It it's might. not
2: going to, but I it <laughs> would be awesome that way. You could outdo me on the weight.
1: <laughs> I don't want to do that because no. I want it to fly well. Right. Um, and not telemaster, I'm sorry. My first airplane was a, a Cavalier. And whoever built that Cavalier, the rear tail was not as to plan. It right. was more rounded and stuff. And I, I think that's one reason, like, I really like that airplane. And I think that's one reason that it kind of stuck with me. And I like that rounded tail look. Okay. Um so that is also going to be on this airplane. We'll see how that turns out. I don't know. I know you don't like it at all.
2: Well, I'm, I'm not a fan of that shape on this airplane.
1: And maybe I won't be either, but I won't know until I do it. <laughs> so we'll see.
2: So if slide number three, you might have it all figured out.
1: <laughs> no, I won't go. No, this is number two or this is number one.
2: Well, I know number one now. Right. Number two for the redesign because you don't like the way number one looks after you get it all together, <laughs> and then number three because you don't like the way number two looks and it's not longer than mine. So
1: no, I'm sticking with <laughs> I'm sticking with number one. That's, okay, I'll just make a nose longer if I have to. All right, you heard it here. <laughs> He's not
2: going to build another fuselage.
1: My plan is not to build another oh, fuselage. Oh. I'm not saying that's not going to change. <laughs> okay, because uh, we know how I do things. Right. Um, but yeah, so where so.
2: where are you at then? You've got you've got the stab. Well. You're going to redo the stab. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vertical, you potentially might redo the vertical.
1: I don't think so.
2: The fuselage is kind of in the bones mm-hmm. right now. Uh, your wing looks really good. Thank you. Uh, it's very close to being what I would say done, you know, glue the nacelles on and finish up the wing tips and you know, run the wiring and stuff.
1: Yeah, so the only thing I have to do on the wing still is, like you said, the the finish up the wingtips and stuff. I still have to ailerons. sand the trailing edge yep. um, and then put the ailerons on uh, after I mount the nacelles, and then that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, final sanding and stuff, and it's almost ready for covering. So that should be, hopefully, before long. Yeah. Um, nacelles are done. I just have to do a little bit of sanding on them. Um, and then it's just onto the, onto the body, the fuselage. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to be all that difficult because I don't have a lot going into it, like we said No, before. yeah. I mean, you're
2: not putting a nose gear in it or, or anything like that. So just a rudder servo and an elevator servo, and that's
1: And landing gear. And
2: maybe a switch. Because <laughs> landing
1: gear will be going on that too. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, um, yeah and well, switch, no, your
2: landing gear is going to – Oh, that's right. You're going to put a block in there for that. That's right.
1: Yeah, it's going to go on the fuselage gotcha. as, as opposed to the wing. But yeah. other than that, yeah, I mean, it's – I know it doesn't look like it, but it's not that far away from being done.
2: No, it I'm, really isn't.
1: I might be able to be done by January 1st.
2: Well, that that was kind of what we uh what we indicated we would like to do in the last episode.
1: <laughs> so, I know, but we haven't done much since the last episode either, so Yeah, but I'm
2: yeah, you're right. Uh-huh. But we'll see. I mean, we got a month a little over.
1: A little over, month and a half, so. give or take. But, yeah. yeah, so that's that's um, what I've been up to on the do list. Um, yeah. I know you haven't done anything because you've been working.
2: Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I got absolutely zero done. Um, it's exactly in the same state that it was at on our last episode. Um, I wish I could say that uh, I had done more, but sadly, no. It happens. Well, I mean, I'll have some time this weekend to work on it, so that's my plan. Cool. At least a day, maybe two,
1: <laughs> hopefully. yeah. Well, just I have a lot of leaves I have to rake. I don't know about you. I just I ran them over with a mower last week and I think I'm done with it. See, we don't live in town, so I don't have to worry about having yeah. this nicely presentable lawn. Well, I mean I it's not it. so much that it's
2: just that it you know, in the spring it makes such a mess whenever everything's, you know, muddy and soggy from all the rain and I'm trying to get the grass to grow and so I have to clean it up in the fall.
1: Well when yeah. it's dry. We only have like, we have a couple oak trees that leave those huge, huge leaves. Yeah. And those are the ones that I worry about. But we don't do it often. But when they get too bad, we'll just kind of rake them up and burn them.
2: Yeah. So, see, and that's another thing. You can, you can burn them out here.
1: You should move out to the country.
2: Uh, yeah. I know. Hey, we've had this discussion, and I'm not the one you need to convince.
1: I know. I know.
2: <coughs>
1: so, anyway. one day.
2: Yep. Um, sadly, I have uh, no update on my duelist. It's like I said, it's still, I did take a, did I send you a picture of it with the nacelles sort of in place and the no. two engines kind of laying oh, in front of it?
1: No. Okay. Not with the well, engines. I, uh-uh. I don't,
2: maybe I didn't take a picture of it. I'll take a picture of it and maybe I'll put that up there with the horizontal stab picks.
1: Yeah, cool. Uh, just to make a
2: kind of a, here's what it might look like eventually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> here's one day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and oh. I finally did make a de- I, I did. I guess I did do something. I made a decision.
1: Oh, good for you. And I'm
2: going to mount the engines on their sides and run the pipes under the wing.
1: That oh, was the exact opposite of what I said would be good.
2: The exact opposite of what you wanted, yes. Yeah. So cool. Exactly.
1: I mean, it's yours. You don't have to... Well, right. And I that, don't have that to was like how, it.
2: That was how my original tool is. That's how they were, they were mounted, so...
1: Well, you crashed your original one, too, so...
2: Well, that's true. I did. Uh,
1: maybe that was... Uh, maybe that's the bad luck part to it, is how they were mounted? No, I
2: think the bad luck part of it is me not doing a proper pre-flight. Ah. I think that's really the,
1: the demise of that airplane. So maybe this time you'll do a proper... Pre flight and be good.
2: Yeah, I don't want to repeat history. So
1: (laughs) learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Learn from our mistakes. Yeah. Um, Something else, by the way, I wanted to bring up because I wasn't doing it right. So, you know, we have a a page on the website on how to uh, trim uh, the balsa sheets and and put them together. Yes.
2: (laughs) Yes. <laughs>
1: so that's awesome. But I will admit I have not actually successfully done that before. So I had you show me how to do it tonight. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's so, not hard. No, it's not hard by any means. But I think I was trying to uh, what's the word over uh, over pressure it overdoing whatever to where I was putting too much pressure on it, trying to cut it all in one swipe, yeah. which doesn't work very well. So no. what explain to all of us who really had not done it before, okay, how to do it. Um, and then also explain that it doesn't have to be perfect right? Like, because that was the other misconception I was under. Um, okay. Like I thought that the, the seams had to be just perfect in order for that glue to, to hold very well. Like I almost actually took it out to my, uh, my joiner and ran it through there, but I didn't know how the joiner would do on balsa. Mm. And I know I didn't have a lot of 16th inch, so that's why I kind of <laughs> Well, I have more. Oh,
2: if you need more, I have more.
1: <laughs> well, that's why I stopped where I was because I oh, okay. thought I'll, I'll let you show me how to do it and we'll go from there. But
2: okay, well, I mean, the the trick is um, whatever it is you're using for a straight edge for your straight line, mm-hmm. you just want to make sure that that doesn't move because you know if it moves, then you don't have a straight edge anymore because you've got you know one section of a cut worth the straight edge at one position, and then if it moves even just slightly, that it's gonna you know, exaggerate the problem the farther you get away from it. So, yeah, the key for me is to work in small sections,
1: which so, is not what I was doing.
2: Right, you were trying to cut it all in one. Trying big to swipe. cut it in one. So long it's okay. Swipe. Yeah, it's okay to break it up into small sections because you can have some some degree of imperfection in that joint, and your the the uh, the aliphatic resin or the carpenter's glue that we're using. It does soak into the wood, and the wood does swell because it gets wet. You know, wood swells a little bit when it gets wet. Yeah. And it'll actually seal up those gaps, like sizable. Like, I mean, I'm not talking like a sixteenth inch gap. You know, if you've got a gap that's, you know, you could slide a couple sheets of paper through, that's fine. It's okay. Okay. It doesn't have to be, like, perfect because it, it would be nearly impossible with a—unless you used a, you know, a tool for the purpose, you know, because, you know, when you're holding the knife, you may hold it at 90 degrees— You know, when you've got your arm outstretched, but the closer you pull that knife towards you, you may tilt the knife out a little bit or in a little bit. So the the angle of the cut is probably going to vary a little bit from the beginning to the end. So if you work in short sections, that does two things for you. You can keep a firm pressure on your straight edge so it doesn't move. And then when you get to the, you know, you say cut six inches at a time, get to that six inches, and then you can move your hand with your knife still in the slot without moving your straight edge reposition your hand farther
1: down the straight edge, put some pressure on it and continue your cut. So use two hands to where you always have pressure on it at one time.
2: Right. Yeah. So like, you know, if you can imagine, you know, you're you're leaned over your table, you got your, let's say your right hand, like me, you got your left hand down there pushing down on your straight edge, which is down there pushing your wood, you know, on top of the wood. Mm -hmm. And you got your right hand extended out in your arm and you, and you pull that knife towards you. And when you stop, it's okay to pull the knife out of the slot Put your right hand on the straight edge so that you can then move your left hand on different to a different section of the straight edge so that it doesn't move. You yeah. could also accomplish the same thing by clamping the straight edge to the to the table if you have, you know, room and clamps and oh, things like that.
1: I didn't think of that. Yeah. That would can, be a good idea. Yeah.
2: Anything you can do to prevent that straight edge from moving is gonna nearly guarantee you success. Actually, yeah. if you if you clamp it, that's actually a way better uh waited it cuz then you have two free hands and you can you know you can kind of use one hand to maybe hold it up against your other hand to maintain you know maintain the same angle
1: of yeah. the blade. And the other thing you did too that I was not doing is you did multiple passes. Yeah. Whereas even yeah. with 16th you did like two or three passes to get all the way through it and I was trying to go through it all at once.
2: Yeah, I, I don't I don't try even softball so I don't try to get through it in the first pass. Mm-hmm. I take a couple of different passes. That way you can take your time and you're not putting a lot of pressure. On the knife, you know, try and, you know, then the knife veers off or, yeah. or even worse, tries to tuck under the straight edge and then you got, you know, then you got a gouge. and <laughs>
1: That's what I ended up with. Yeah, I had just several of those. So, yeah.
2: So, uh, yeah, it, they just take your time and, and multiple passes and you can do it in short sections if you're using just your hands. But if you're clamping the straight edge, you can do it. You
1: know, you can make long passes, but
2: make a couple different passes. Don't try to cut it all at once.
1: And so, how thick of of wood do you do that with? Like, obviously, sixteenth and eighth, but do you go any thicker than that for trying to do an edge?
2: Well, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna say, let's say we're talking a quarter inch. Um, if I'm gonna cut that, I'll use a balsa stripper. You know what I mean?
1: But I'm talking about if you're trying to well, I don't make I've, sheets. Yeah,
2: um, yeah. I'll use the same technique, but then I'll come back with a sanding block because on quarter inch, like if you're gonna let's say you're gonna build a horizontal stabilizer out of out of quarter inch sheets and you're gonna edge glue them together,
1: yeah, which is um, what I just did.
2: yeah. um in that case, I'll do the I'll, I'll I'll use the same technique. I'll lay my straight edge down and cut that you know over the course of several passes. and then I'll come back with a with a sanding block and true up that edge and make them as square as possible before I glue them together.
1: The other thing I noticed like with when I was doing it, I think eight inch sections were the longest I actually had to worry about. So I wasn't doing a three foot long piece oh, of rosa. Right. Yeah. So it was a lot easier to sand that true yeah. when it's shorter than your block that you're sanding with. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think of, like, if you ever need to do a long piece though, do you think like a joiner would wear, or would work better? Or? I've
2: never used a joiner, like oh. ever. Never mind So I, I don't know. It'd be worth a shot.
1: A join, so I use joiners quite a bit for like oak and, and that kind of stuff. That's, okay. That's... That's a, a, you know, a, a heavier duty wood, right, you know, a, right. it's harder, harder. Thank you. Um, but like, I wouldn't want to do it on something as thin as like 16th of an inch. Yeah, uh, but quarter inch it. would probably be yeah. just I bet a quarter okay. inch would.
2: I bet it would work perfectly Especially with,
1: sh- or with sharp, uh, sharp blades, I would yeah, think.
2: But not everybody has a planer or a joiner
1: or whatever. Well, maybe they need to get one. <laughs> Everybody okay. needs a fully <laughs> stocked shop, right?
2: I don't disagree.
1: So, there you go.
2: I tell you what, remember we, you know, quite a few episodes ago, I picked up all those, you know, woodworking tools that have been, mm-hmm. you know, I find that I use those all the time. Oh yeah. Like, you know, even just for simple stuff, yeah. it's a, it's amazing how easy it makes even the simplest jobs. It makes them that much simpler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the right if that tool. That makes sense. It makes sense. The right tool for the job makes yeah. things a lot easier. So, um, so that's why everybody needs to have a fully stocked shop.
2: Fully stocked.
1: Workshop. Don't you agree?
2: I yeah, I I do. So I mean, I do. don't disagree. Said <laughs> so that once already. So anyway.
1: Oh, so what else you got?
2: Well, I thought maybe um, this episode. I've been wanting to talk about it for a while. Uh, how to, and I think we even got a question or two on the uh, on the surveys. I'd like to talk about flight trimming an airplane.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I think we had a couple of people ask about that, and I don't know anything about it, so yeah, I mean, I, me.
2: I mean, I'm not going to do, like, the deep, you know, the deep dive into it, but <clears throat> basically, you know, there's some, there's a few steps you can take um, once you've got an airplane finished and flying. There's a few steps that you can take to make that the best flying airplane that it can be. Okay. So um, the first thing, obviously, is, you know, getting the CG right? Um, luckily for, for us, uh, most of the time that is done for us, or at least they're giving us a range. You know, if you look at the plans, there's usually a range, you know, where they tell you that you should balance the airplane. Um, and the instruction manuals and ARFs, same thing. They usually kind of tell you where to measure back from the leading edge or what have you. Um, and those are great starting points. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so let's say that's, that you have an airplane though. You might've bought one used or something like that. You're not sure what it is. Yeah. What's a good rule of thumb on where to start?
2: So the rule of thumb that I use is 25 to 33% MAC. And and what that means is uh, MAC is short for mean aerodynamic cord. Um, and so it's an average, right? So there there's a cord length at the root and there's a cord length at the tip. And to keep things simple, let's say they're both the same and let's say that uh, it's a straight wing there's no sweep or anything like that. Now I'm going to caveat all this. There's all kinds of calculators, calculators, excuse me, on the internet on how to figure Mac. Um, I don't have the formulas memorized for tapered wings and wings that, you know, get narrower at the tip and any of that, but basically it's a mean number or an average, if you will, of the cord at the root compared to the cord at the tip. And you're gonna measure at the root 25 to 33%. And that's, you'll find that most ranges, that's where they're calculated, even on plans, um, on ARF kits, you know, that, that's usually where their range is, is located. So if you can find uh, what the mean aerodynamic cord is, and let again, back my example, um, a straight wing with no taper, no di- no sweep, or anything like that, It would be basically 25% to 33% back from the leading edge of the wing at the root.
1: Or what I was going for is it's usually... At the uh, the main support that the goes across spar. the main spar yep. is usually right around that uh, general area. Yes, so, and
2: and if you have an airplane that uses panels, you know the the plug-in panels, usually wherever the tube goes into the wing, that's usually a pretty good yeah, spot to right put the about CGs. Where it is. Yeah, and and that's that's a good that's a good point. Um, most of the ones I've seen, that's where you'll find them. But there are there are odd exceptions out there. Swept wings, sometimes I've seen them way back there because of the weird shape of the wing yeah. and the taper or whatever. But um,
1: basically – It's a general rule, though, for like what we would be flying or what we would buy if we're not sure about it, just a, a trainer or something like that. You're usually just right on the it, main spar. It's usually right on the main spar,
2: yep. yeah. Yep. So, um, but getting back to what I was talking about, that's a range. That's a recommended range. And everybody likes their airplanes to fly a little bit differently. Like you can take an old Great Plains Trainer 40 – and ask 10 different pilots how they want it to fly, you'll get 10 different answers. And you can change the characteristics of a way an airplane flies by, by you know, moving that center of gravity forward or back. Um, you know, moving it too far back obviously is bad, um, but moving it back a little bit makes the airplane a little more lively, uh, does uh, aerobatics a little bit better. Um, you know, fly, it stalls at a higher speed, yeah, but you know, a, a, a pilot who knows what he's doing can probably do more with an airplane that has the CG farther back than a pilot, you know, can do with it moving, you know, forward. So, um, get the CG on your airplane set where you like it, uh, get the airplane so that, uh, you know, it doesn't tip stall on you when you're, when you're coming into land cause you have it so tail heavy. Um, but that's the first thing you're going to do is get the CG in the range at least, at the very least, uh, wherever it says on the plans or, 25 to 33 percent Mac whatever that happens to be
1: and so then after you have your CG figured out like how do you know if a, a plane is too tail heavy or too nose heavy like what what characteristics do you have in flight that's gonna make you say hey I need to move the CG back or I need to move it forward right
2: so usually uh, a tail heavy plane will porpoise uh, and what that means is okay here's a good here's a good test for for your CG Um fly along straight and level, you know, get the airplane trimmed as best you can to fly along a straight and level at a pretty good clip. Say, let's just say wide open, you know. Okay. uh, And then pull the throttle back and then wait a few seconds. If the airplane sort of noses down um, gradually, but doesn't really gain a lot of airspeed, um, your CG's a touch on the nose heavy side, but pretty close to being ideal, actually. If, however, the airplane just sort of slows down and then eventually wants to climb and maybe even to the point where it it points straight up and then stalls and flops over, and <laughs> then you're definitely on the tail heavy side. Okay. If your airplane, when you, when you cut the throttle back, if it sort of maintains that altitude and climbs a little bit, slows down, and then kind of noses over and then picks up speed, climbs a little bit, slows down, noses, that's called porpoising. And you're a touch on the tail-heavy side at that point. So okay. somewhere between that point and the point at which the airplane, you know, kind of noses over and gains airspeed, you're right in the range. Okay. And from there, it's just fine-tuning what you like the airplane to do. Like me personally, I fly mine, generally speaking, a little on the tail-heavy side because usually a uh, a nose-heavy airplane will, uh, tends to be bouncy, if that's a word, on landing. And
1: The reason is because you
2: you lose control authority of the elevator because you're trying to overcome all that weight on the nose and your landings tend to bounce. And I don't like bounced landings.
1: Nobody does.
2: So I fly mine a little on the tail heavy side. And the sacrifice to that is it floats a little bit. Maybe the flare is a little bit longer than, you know, than it would be if it was nose, you know, slightly more nose heavy. But that's a, you know, it's a trade off for Mm -hmm. a smooth landing.
1: And it flies better that way too, right? And
2: it's more sprightly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so
1: more of a handful if you can handle it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Experienced pilot, no, no problem. problem whatsoever, especially if it's an airplane that you're very familiar with, you know, an airplane you've been flying a long time. Um, it's fun actually sometimes to experiment with with CG within, you know, within, within the reason. range. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. You don't want to so, put
1: it too far back. And then yeah. it porpoises when you're just trying to fly. Right. And it's hard to get down.
2: Like for instance, my old contender, um, when I built that thing many, many years ago, I put the CG right many, in range. And
1: many, I, many, many, years ago?
2: <laughs> yes, it's been a few <laughs> years. But when I put the CG in the range where, you know, on the plan for that airplane, it flew great. And I flew it like that for years and years and years, years. a few years. Um, and then, you know, once I was really, really comfortable with the airplane and I could, I mean, it was my go-to for many years. Um, I actually started experimenting with the CG because that airplane, and I don't know. Maybe some of our listeners are familiar with the contender, but um, not very good at spinning. Like it doesn't snap very well. Mm. Like it doesn't do very good snap rolls unless you get that CG back there on the very, kind of at the very limit on the on the
1: trailing um, on edge the trailing of where. It edge be. Of where yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. And once I got the CG back there, now of course I had to add weight or whatever, but it, I could actually get it to spin because you know it was tail heavy
1: mm-hmm. essentially.
2: But anyway. If you're comfortable with an airplane, try, try playing with the, with the CG. And I think you'll, most, most, most pilots like them a little on the tail heavy side. So. Cool. Makes them, uh, makes them more aerobatic. So next, once you've got the CG where you like it, um, the first, well, the next thing I do is I try to check my thrust angles. So most airplanes, um, I don't want to say most, but a lot of airplanes will have thrust built into the firewall, right? Like sometimes it'll be some right thrust or maybe it'll be some down thrust or what have you. Mm-hmm. A lot of airplanes, you build the airplane with the thrust line, not in alignment with the center line of the airplane. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, aerodynamic reasons, and I am i don't want to get into that, but-
1: We talked um, about that quite a bit actually in the, right. uh, in the propellers in the episode. In the propellers episode, yeah. So if you haven't listened to that one- Go back listen to that one. You'll kind of understand. what Which we're is talking funny about. because
2: um, there is a lot of good information in that in that episode about selecting the right propeller, mm-hmm. and that's really important for trimming your airplane too, um, because a different propeller, you know, I, I don't want without getting you know too too deep into it, a different propeller um, will produce different P factor type results, or they'll produce a different shaped slipstream, yeah. and and all of those variables will uh, go into the trim of the airplane. So once you have the propeller you know selected that you're going to use with that airplane, that's another thing towards uh, properly flight trimming an airplane. Uh, okay. But that's a decision you want to make and uh, stick with throughout the process, because it'll probably change if you select a different propeller.
1: So don't change it out if you break one, just kind of stick well, with what you fly no, with, No, right? I mean, going no, to no, a different I mean, size or whatever. I mean, used with the same one that you break, like right. not yes. the actual same propeller, Exactly, but the, the same... You know, pitch right. and diameter. Yep. Yeah.
2: So um, so one of the tests that I do to test uh, thrust angles. So um, it's kind of similar to the CG test, sort of. Uh, so for, let's say for the vertical thrust angle, up, you know, up or down thrust. Um, what I do is uh, same thing, you know, and level flight, get everything kind of trimmed. So it's flying, you know, uh, wings level, Straight hands and level. off, um, and then pull the throttle back. And what the airplane does right away is going to tell you what, you know, where the, what the condition of the thrust is. So uh, for example, let's say you're flying along, straight and level wide open and you cut the throttle. And let's say the airplane immediately pitches up, right? So if you think about it <clears throat> at straight and level, the, you know, the thrust, you've got it trimmed for straight and level. And if the airplane pitches up, when you cut the throttle what that means is at straight and level flight your airplane has been compensating with down thrust to to basically pull the airplane down because its natural tendency is to want to go to up rise. right
1: so how do you know the difference between that and cg then
2: because you're 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 watching what the airplane does immediately like with a cg you don't you don't really watch that right with cg you kind of watch what happens once the airplane Long-term. is starting to slow down. Okay. So when you when you chop the throttle and the airplane pitches up, then kind of counterintuitive, you have to actually add some up thrust. I know it sounds weird.
1: If you think about it though, it makes sense because you, you're losing the pull down. So Exactly. Yeah. So uh, no, I, I can understand that.
2: And vice versa. If you if you're buzzing along and wide open and you cut the throttle and the airplane immediately pitches down you need to add a little bit of down thrust. And we're talking, you know, one degree max at a time. Yeah. And so you do that and you repeat that step over and over until you get it to where, you know, it doesn't do anything immediately after you
1: cut the throttle. Right? Makes sense? that way it just continues on. And
2: and that sort of plays well into my hands because I like to tinker and experiment (laughs) and things like that. So, you know, plan on, to do it right, plan on a full day at the field with lots of fuel or gas. Or
1: Or batteries. batteries.
2: I said, or batteries. I know. I had to wait for that. That was the last thing you said. It was like, because it was the last thing on my mind. Uh huh. So, anyway, so once you have the up and down thrust sorted out, it's a good idea to recheck the CG Um, because, you know, with all that up and down, you know, maybe you didn't catch it right away or whatever. Maybe you're waiting a little bit too long. Um, Recheck that. Do that CG test again after, you, after you've after you got your up and down thrust just to make sure, you know, just to make sure you've got it right where you want it. And then the next thing I do is to check the left and right. So I don't want any right thrust or left thrust depending on the airplane. Yeah. Um, a cub, obviously, I'm probably going to have as much, right, yeah, or as much <laughs> right thrust as the plans tell me to put in it. But um, so the test for that one.
1: And what – sorry, not well, to get off topic. What makes the cub so – so special I guess when it comes to that well, because I anybody think, that's flown a cub knows yeah how finicky they can be right. take off flying and all that but it's not quite the same on any other airplane that's even remotely well, like that. I
2: think I think I think I'm using cub as a as a generalization honestly okay. um, because Taylor crafts do it uh, even the Cessna 150 uh, I think they call it the Texas twister. They actually, you know, a Cessna produced the 150 as a tail dragger for a while. Um, even those, you know, experience the same issues that a cub experience. I think probably the reason we always go to cub is because it's, it's very popular, you know, so there's a lot of them out there and people probably have the most experience with those because that's the airplane they built. You know what I mean?
1: I've had tail draggers though. That don't react nearly as badly as cubs do. Probably. Like I've flown cubs and I've flown right. other tail draggers. Yeah. And the cubs are the ones that really just, I mean, you have to fly those on the ground.
2: Probably because they're slower and bigger. So like I've flown a lot of okay. tail draggers and, mo- and I'm going to get on my soapbox. I, uh-huh. I, I promise I'm going <laughs> to get back to flight trimming. I promise. Okay. So today, and not just today, but it's been going on for years- we seriously overpower our airplanes. We really do. Yeah. It's fun, and I'm not going to stop doing it. But because of that, like a side effect is we we tend to tolerate um, poor aerodynamic performance, especially especially during takeoff. Because what do you see guys do at the field? They get their airplane. They fire Six it up. Feet. They tune. They run it up to full throttle, and off they go in 10 feet. Yeah. I mean, when have you gone to an airport and seen a full-size airplane do that? So we get through those those okay. nasty aerodynamic tendencies like a cub, you know, sometimes with the, you know, adding right rudder and things like that. We just sort of skim through it because the takeoff is so abbreviated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So on a cub because they're kind of big and kind of lumbering and, you know, even, even if you overpower a cub, it's a big, slow, draggy airplane. And it's only going to go so fast. So you don't, you don't get that free pass. You can't just, you know, kind of skate right past the bad tendencies straight into flying. So maybe that's why.
1: So all of them, like all airplanes probably have the cub tendencies, but because you go past it so fast, you don't notice.
2: That's what I'm, that's what
1: my theory is. Okay.
2: That's you know. So, you know, you, you guys at home and and girls, pilots at home, you know, do an experiment. Try, try on your next takeoff on your high performance tail dragger, try your next takeoff at quarter throttle.
1: And try it at scale levels.
2: Yeah. See what happens. Maybe, maybe you find that you're going to have to add some right rudder where you didn't have to before maybe. Yeah. So anyway, okay, I'm off my soapbox. (laughs) Like I said, I'm not going to stop you know, overpowering airplanes, but...
1: It's fun and it's easy to do. It gives us so. a free
2: pass on some of these other things that we should be learning how to do, like coordinating turns, which I'm going to talk about in another episode.
1: Yeah, I don't know how to coordinate <laughs> turns. I admit it.
2: It's lazy. So anyway... Wow. All right. So so next we're going we're gonna to do the left and right thrust. And here's my test for that. Uh, it's very similar to the up and down thrust, except we're going to do it in a vertical plane. So again... Straight and level, wide open, or fast cruise, whatever you want to do. Pull the throttle back and pull up, right? So that your airplane is pointing straight up. Almost like you're going to pull back and do a loop, but we're not going to do a loop. We're just going to pull up and let the airplane just keep going straight up. And um, I take that back. You're going to leave the throttle in it when you do that. Okay. Leave the <laughs> throttle in it, pull up so that it's going vertical, and then cut the throttle. Now, what you're doing is you're isolating that that thrust component and when you pull back on the throttle, you are sort of um, mitigating those aerodynamic forces like P factor and, and gyroscopic precession and all that stuff by throttling back. So now you've got a true indication the airplane's going straight up with a little bit of power and you've cut the power and whatever the airplane does now, left or right, is what you're going to correct with thrust. So for example, let's say we pull up, cut the throttle on the airplane immediately Immediately, that's the keyword, turns Mm -hmm. left. Same idea, only this time, um, if the plane turns left, um, it's because you already have too much right thrust. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it's the opposite. It's the opposite, Right, right, exactly. So,
2: same 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 sort of test as a up and down thrust only we're doing it in a vertical plane and it's sort of backwards.
1: Okay.
2: In my head, it makes sense. And hopefully I've, I've explained that so that, you know, like I said, if you, you straighten level wide open, you pull up and once you've, you know, passed that vertical, you pull the power back. And if the plane veers a little bit left, it means you've got a little bit too much right thrust because the right thrust was compensating. Now you it was pulled that you away. Right. So now, yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, so I understand that. Yep. Okay. I hope everybody else does, but yeah. I get it.
2: And that also will sort of um, – at straight and level flight, obviously, you're going to have the ailerons trimmed a certain way. Or maybe maybe you've built them great and, and your aileron trim is neutral, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but at straight and level flight – and it, so at wide open, um, the same trim is not going to do the same thing. At different air speeds, right? So that's another reason we I do that test uh, heading vertically with low airspeed is to sort of neutralize whatever the ailerons might be doing, trim wise. Okay. Um, well, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Are the ailerons going to do a lot though for like which way it starts to go?
2: So you remember ailerons can cause drag, right? That's why a lot of airplanes, we, we have differential aileron throw, like more up than down, for example. I gotcha. Um, so yeah, if your trim is, you know, if, if for some reason the ailerons are, you've got a lot of right aileron trim to overcome a warped wing or, or whatever the case may be, maybe a heavy, heavy left wing panel, who knows? um, at a low airspeed, that effect of those ailerons is going to be lower, so you'll be able to really see the indication of left and right thrust, as opposed to trying to trim that at wide open throttle. And, and I've seen a lot of guys try to trim their their thrust, uh, left and right thrust, by you know doing kind of the same test: pull it up vertical, and then they jam the throttle and watch what the airplane does. That's that's not a really accurate way to. To adjust your left and right thrust, because you're adding a whole like a whole lot of percentage of torque, yeah. and P factor and all this other stuff. So it's best, like like I said, you know, you pull up, cut the throttle, and watch what the airplane does. And uh, I, I guess I should have said this too: when you pull up, let it bleed off a little bit of airspeed. If it can, you know, like I said, we overpower most of our airplanes. <laughs> so a lot of our airplanes will climb, you know, vertically at full throttle. But, yeah, um, unlimited vertical. May, maybe if, if your airplane is one of those high-performance kinds that that does that, maybe perform this test at half throttle. Gotcha. Or, you know, you, you want to eliminate a, a fair amount of airspeed if you can while still maintaining some, some power so that when you cut the power, you can see what the airplane does.
1: I gotcha. Hopefully
2: that makes sense.
1: I think so. Yeah.
2: So, so that's, uh, so that's the left and right thrust and the up and down thrust. And then really after that, uh, once you've got, um, once you've got that, the thrust figured out and, um, I like to build my airplane so that I'm zero, zero. I like my engines pointing straight ahead. I like my thrust line in, in line with the airplane center line, um, and then adjust from there. Um, now obviously if an R comes with two degrees of right thrust and a, a degree of down thrust built in, obviously I'm going to go ahead and build the airplane like they say in the instructions. Because they've it,
1: tested it. Because exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
2: But an airplane like the dualist, like even Dave Platt on these plans, says, hey, mount the engine zero, zero, zero zero. Zero degrees of right thrust or left thrust and zero degrees of up or down, straight ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's how I like to build anyway because... Zero degrees is easy to get with a square. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. Very much so. You're not worried about any odd angles and stuff on the nacelles or on the right. front of the airplane. So yeah. on the firewall.
2: And then just a just a to touch on the on the aileron trim. I would say um, how I trim mine is uh, straight and level flight at half throttle or half cruising speed or whatever, whatever. Airspeed, you're going to fly that airplane probably the most.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that's where I trim my ailerons. Because I'll be honest, um, when I build an airplane, I may not be, you know, I may not be the world's greatest builder. I may have, you know, built a little bit of warp into my wing or maybe one wing panel is, you know, longer than the other. Or one, maybe one is heavier than the other and I didn't balance it, you know, uh, laterally. Yeah. Um. So I'll trim the airplane at least with the ailerons about where I figure I fly at the most, you know, at at whatever speed range. That's when I'll trim the ailerons. And then if I need to compensate, usually I don't. But if I need to compensate on high-speed maneuvers or landing, I'll just do that with the stick.
1: But now that you have your adjusto jig, it should be a lot easier to build well, a, a straight it wing. It will right? be
2: from now on. Yes.
1: Well, cuz I didn't correct. build my wing with my Well, that's why I said jig. now that you but have now, one. Yes. From now on, yeah. Right. It'll be easier, yeah, for your next build.
2: Yep, and then the only thing left to, to trim at this point is uh is your um your throttle and elevator, um and you know a little bit of rudder. Rudder is a good is an easy test because uh, you can do that one. The sort of the same when you do the the uh, the left and right thrust test, but just leave the power in it. That's how I adjust mine.
1: Oh. Yeah. Okay. I can see that then. Yeah. Cause then you'll see if it's tracking straight yep. or if it's exactly.
2: tracking. Yeah. Cause you have airspeed to help you overcome the torque and B factor and all that stuff. Yeah. All that stuff is usually behind the airplane envelope at that speed. So, um, but yeah, anything, anyway, after, after that it's elevator and, and uh, throttle, uh, throttle is, you know, pretty simple, you know, get a good <laughs> idle and then make sure you can shut the thing off and make sure you get wide open if, you know, if you want full power and then the elevator is trimmed to taste.
1: Yeah, because you know I mean. that is going to change a bunch on speed. Yeah. yeah. So kind of a, the same thing as your ailerons, though. I probably set those all at the same spot, you think? Yeah. That way, if most of the time you're flying, you know, half throttle, yep. you're going to be set just that's exactly throttle for yep. everything. That's,
2: that's a like I, I'll usually trim my ailerons and elevator simultaneously, and that's usually, like I said, at a speed where I figure I'm going to fly the airplane
1: the most. And so. so what's it take, like, time-wise? I know you said – rela- or have a full afternoon setup, but just – if you're not wanting to get into the whole, like, cause one degree, two degrees of, of thrust offset is not going to make that much of a difference when you're flying.
2: You'd be surprised. Really? Yeah.
1: Yep. Well, forget what I said then.
2: Well, I mean, maybe one degree, two degrees. No, but even like when you get out to three degrees, imagine, imagine three degrees over the course of a hundred foot, let's say a hundred foot line. Yeah. Three degrees is is quite a significant distance, and if the airplane's trying to fly that distance and you're trying to trim against that, it can be quite the battle between trim and aerodynamics.
1: Yeah, I and it adds I that adds drag
2: and all kinds of other bad things to you. And the airplane's going to do weird things, like for instance, at the top of a loop where the airspeed is slowest and you're you know you're anti lift at this point, airplane may do something weird like you know fall out of the loop and start spinning and You know, if you do it low enough, you may not have enough time to recover. Yeah. So you want to make sure that, you know, get it, get it right.
1: So spend the time to make sure it lasts you for years and years and years. Exactly. And, and get it flying right from the beginning.
2: Yeah. Yep. So. Okay. So that's just my, uh, that's my take on flight trimming. I mean, certainly we could get deeper into it and maybe I will eventually like um, uh, maybe flight trimming for different modes. You know, like, you know, we, I, I kind of hit on that here a while back about, you know, setting up my dual rates and expos on a switch so that I could go crazy mode or regular mode or beginner yeah. mode or whatever. Um, there's different trim techniques for each one of those modes, too, that I, maybe I could break that down one of these days. Okay. Might be fun. Maybe. So that's really all I got for for flight trimming. If you guys have questions, uh, you know, hit us up. There's lots of ways to contact us, uh, the forums, uh, the phone number, the text,
1: uh, the website, the email, the email. Yeah. What, lots yeah. of
2: ways to get a hold of us. If you got a question, um, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Yep.
1: Tom will answer them. And hey, I speaking just say of questions, yeah. I've got
2: one here I'd like to read on the, on the oh, okay. show, if that's okay. Sure. It's from our friend, Liam. I'm, I think you're familiar with Liam. Yeah. We hear from him from time to time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, he had a question, uh, he, and I'm gonna go ahead and read it. He says, hi, Ron. Hi, Tom. He said, Ron first.
1: Of course he did.
2: So. Uh, we
1: all we know it goes in order of importance, right?
2: Well, I mean, you do the most work. Just to ask you. <laughs> I am a UMX aircraft owner. Uh, UMX is ultra micro. That's uh, for e-flight, for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, very fun airplanes. We've he talked says, about those before. Yeah. Yeah, most of them have the AS3X, which we... You know, love. I am a UMX aircraft owner and flyer, and asked about a nitro engine a while back. I thought my engine was a Super Tiger; it's really a GP. So he has a he has actually a Thunder Tiger GP7. Uh, what plane would be good for this engine? He says uh, he answers his own question right here. He says a mini stick. He says also, would you all recommend floats for the Sport Cub SS from Horizon? Uh, so Liam. A uh, Thunder Tiger GP7 would be a perfect engine for a mini-stick, and a mini-stick would be a perfect airplane for your first scratch build because yeah. they're really super easy to build. They're very simple box-type constructions. You know, the hardest part about that build is probably, you know, getting the wing saddle just right.
1: Did you say scratch build?
2: I did say scratch, build. what mm. I meant to say was plans build. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me.
1: See, don't do that because you're going to confuse me, and then I'm going to. No, you're right. You know, yes, more I confused. said
2: uh, I said scratch build. What I meant was plans build. Okay, build yourself a mini stick from plans.
1: And I, I find it funny that you look at me when you said what the motor was. Like I would know what engine that is, and I'm supposed <laughs> to be like, oh, oh I yeah. know what you're talking about now. Yeah, if no, I please- said it
2: was an e flight bl five. 50, you'd probably know exactly what.
1: That would tell me more than what you said yeah, on right. previously.
2: Um, so anyway, Liam, yeah, a mini stick would be perfect for that engine, um, I think, anyway. Uh, and well, then, you're a big
1: stick fan. Well, so, I am. Yeah. I like
2: sticks. They fly great.
1: Uh, you know what? I think I think next spring when we get out, I'll probably fly yours. Yeah, especially because somebody bought it from you and then gave it back to yeah, you. Like so a, if I crash it, it's like a free it, airplane I at this point, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Right. So um, anyway, uh, f- as far as what he says next, um, would uh, would y'all recommend floats for the Sport Cub SS from Horizon? I would say that if Horizon offers floats for that Cub, I have not done the research. Um,
1: yeah, I'm not. I imagine with
2: that they, one. they probably do. I don't know that, but if they do, I would absolutely recommend them. I love flying off of water. Like with floats,
1: you know what else is fun? Flying off of snow, snow. with skis, yeah,
2: yeah. I had that. And for believe, my cup. you know, you can fly off of snow with floats too. I've done it. Really? Yep. If the snow is, uh, you know, kind of like not not that frozen hard stuff on top, but the light, fluffy, you know, fresh. Yeah. Oh yeah, floats do wonderful on snow.
1: Really? Yeah. So the little rudder thing that goes in them doesn't. Well, mess it up? You, that you you kick you that flip up. It up. Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: And make sure you know you have a kind of a straight area to take off and land because the rudder is not very authoritative in, in the snow. But yeah, um, they, they will work <laughs> really well in the snow. But the skis are fun too.
1: Yeah, skis are awesome. I've
2: never actually flown with the skis. Really? Yeah, Dubro makes them and a couple other places.
1: There, it's weird because it actually changes the lift characteristics. When, oh, when you sure. take off and those skis are pointed down or up, pointed out I, I, yeah, okay. um, yeah, I think Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I think
2: somehow they're spring-loaded, right? They are. Okay. Yeah, to keep All them right.
1: from, because you don't want them to go down to where the front of them digs yeah, into the snow. then it's like an air brake. Right. <laughs> well, no, not only that, but like when you're actually landing, you don't oh, want yeah, that, that, that front would, part to dig yeah, into the snow and then just kind of be shoveling it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they have little springs on them to keep them at the right angle. Okay. And that does provide just a little bit more lift. Cool. And it flies a little differently, especially yeah. with, you know, it was a little foamy I was flying, so. Yeah, yeah but yeah.
2: Could you imagine how much fun a stick would be in the wintertime off snow?
1: I was thinking a duelist. I guess you can't do it, but I could. No, I wouldn't because you'll be able have to the, do the, it. the tricycle gear, yeah. but yeah. Duelist
2: might be fun on on skis. It's going to be
1: about that time if oh, we get man. snow. <laughs> we can make skis pretty easy. Uh, yeah.
2: So anyway, Liam, thanks for uh, thanks for contacting us. He he contacted us through the survey. So once again, if, uh, if you guys would go out there and hit that survey and fill it out for us, yeah, uh, maybe, you know, maybe your question, will make it on a show.
1: Or uh, send us a voicemail. Forgot about yeah, that Yeah, that's right.
2: I forgot about that option. That's another option. Yeah. Leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the air.
1: There you go. Do we, we have ask any ask your question that? that way. We don't. Oh. Nobody likes us enough to do that, I guess. Okay.
2: Well, we did play a couple for the Halloween episode, so that was fun. We
1: did. It was fun. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Anything else you want to talk about?
2: So no, uh, Ron. That's all I got.
1: All right, cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Until yep. next time, I'm hey, Ron. Hit oh. us
2: up on Patreon. Oh, There you go. If, like I said at the beginning, if you guys want to help us out um, by becoming a, a patron on Patreon, uh, that would uh, that would be great because we're thinking about doing some other stuff with uh, maybe some video. We are. So that stuff is expensive. So is. anything anything you guys could do to help us out would be great. Uh, but we're going to keep on doing what we're doing. So either way.
1: We're well, going to keep on keeping on. Yes, exactly.
2: So huh. yeah. Anyway, sorry. Just wanted to get that out there. That's all I got.
1: All right. Are you sure?
2: I'm positive this time.
1: All right. So until next time, I'm Ron. I'm Tom. Good night.
2: Good night.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab Podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.